Why did Joe Biden pick Kamala Harris of all people? Most of us paying attention to politics know that she's very, very unpopular. In fact, possibly almost as unlikable as Hillary Clinton herself. Well, of course, now we are seeing the choice backfire in the Democrats' faces as Kamala Harris and the Democrats are getting torn up from every direction. That's right. On the right, they're saying that Kamala Harris is too far left. In fact, she's more liberal than Bernie Sanders is. Is that believable? It can't be true. Jacobin, the socialist magazine, says she's pursuing a far right agenda and she's not really a progressive. No one, I'm pretty sure, for the most part, on the left, the far left or progressives actually believes Kamala Harris is a real progressive. Yet, according to Newsweek, a Senate bill analysis shows Kamala Harris actually is more liberal than Bernie Sanders. I don't really know what that means, but I got to tell you, Donald Trump recently said in a couple of interviews that she was more liberal than Bernie Sanders. I'm assuming that means further left. And I just rolled my eyes and laughed. Surely Donald Trump is incorrect. There's no way that's true. Newsweek published it. They said it is. So what was the point of picking her? If the left thinks she's too far right and the right thinks she's too far left, ah, and there it is, the black voter. You see, this is their opportunity, says several activists. This is the opportunity of the Democrats to talk to a community whose vote they really need. A a group of people who have perhaps been neglected by the Democratic Party for too long. The only problem, according to a new poll from Rasmussen, it was negligible. An equal amount say they would vote for her. An equal amount said they're less likely to vote for her. Most people don't care. You know why? I think most people in this country, surprise, surprise, actually aren't racist. And even among the black voter, they're saying, give me a good candidate. It doesn't matter all that much. It kind of neutralizes itself. So what was the point of picking Kamala Harris? You picked a lady that everybody kind of hates. Jacobin says she cackles maniacally or something to that effect. The right too far left, left too far right. And everybody else is like, we really don't care about if she's a woman or a person of color. So it would seem like a big fat waste of time. But there is some humor in all of this. And I'm glad they picked Kamala. Because now Kanye West has come out and said it's an honor to run against her. I'm sorry, man. I love this timeline. This is absolutely hilarious. I can't tell you who's going to win in November, but I can tell you that reading these stories makes me laugh because nothing seems to make sense. I pull up one article and they're like the far left Kamala Harris. I pull up another article, the centrist, far right, whatever, neoliberal. And I'm just like, I love all of it. Nothing is true. Everything is true. Everything is just insanity. But you know what? Hey, it is what it is, I suppose. Let's actually read what's going on. And I'll show you how, I don't know, hilariously confusing everything is. And ultimately, the point I'm trying to make is their goals with picking Kamala, I believe it was they wanted someone with a progressive track record to attract the left. Well, that didn't work. They wanted someone who kind of appeared as though they were still part of the Democratic establishment. Well, that didn't work. And they were trying to cater to the intersectionalists by choosing a female person of color. And that didn't work either. So, yeah, none of it worked. Let's read the news. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate. If you'd like to support my work, there are many ways you can give. I got a P.O. box. But the best thing you can do, actually, subscribe to this channel. About half the people who actually watch these, these videos aren't subscribed. So just below the video player is a little red subscribe button. Give it a little tap or a click. Now you're more likely to get my videos every day when they go up at 4 p.m. But also hit that like button, hit that notification bell, and share the video if you really do want to help. First, let's see what Donald Trump has to say. Kamala Harris 
is the most liberal person in Congress. Trump lays into Biden's VP pick and says she's even more liberal than Bernie Sanders. Now that I, I didn't believe it. I got to be honest. I didn't believe it. But I think I learned my lesson in, in the media. Trump will say something. I got to be honest. Very often it's on point. Trump doesn't just make this up. He reads the news. Now he gets things wrong. Yeah, I think Trump gets things wrong a bit. But surprisingly, he's right a bit more, it would seem. I mean, when I read that he was claiming Kamala Harris was more progressive than Bernie Sanders, I said, Trump is way off on this one. He's got to be completely wrong. And then I saw this from August 11th, Kamala Harris more liberal than Bernie Sanders. Senate record analysis shows Trump was right. He probably read this article and that's where he got the idea. She is super liberal. The president insisted in an interview with former Fox News commenter Eric Bowling on his show, America This Week on Sinclair. I have actually heard that she is the most liberal person in Congress, more liberal than Bernie Sanders. Trump didn't miss the opportunity to issue another round of attacks on Senator Harris after Biden announced last week she will be returning on the Democratic. uh, She will be running on the Democratic ticket as his vice president. Kamala's a socialist, he continued in the one-on-one pre-recorded interview, adding that presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden has been bought, brought over to the far left. Comparing the vice presidential candidate to Sanders comes as the progressive Vermont senator prepares to throw his support and, tur- and in turn the support of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party behind Biden and Harris amid concerns from far left factions over some of Biden's middle of the line stances. Okay, okay. So Donald Trump comes out and he roasts Kamala, but the left is coming at her from the other side. Check out the story from Jacobin. This is Socialist Magazine. You know what, man? I've said before the progressives would be better suited targeting the Democratic establishment instead of Trump because Trump is still a populist. That way, if Trump loses or if he's when he's out in 2024, there won't be a crony corporatist Democratic establishment and the never Trumpers. They'll all be pushed out. And that's the best bet for the progressives and the far left to actually get a candidate in. Maybe that's what's really happening. The Democrats are facing a war on two fronts. I don't think they can win. So what that says to me is we might be looking at a Donald Trump victory now and a leg up for the progressives in 2024. However, we'll see how things play out. But check, t- check a, uh, take a look at Jacobin. Joe Biden has found his neoliberal match in Kamala Harris. It should be no surprise Kamala Harris has been chosen as Joe Biden's running mate from her career long pursuit of right wing goals to her flexibility with the truth. The two are remarkably similar politicians. Check this out. Far from the progressive prosecutor Harris has been masquerading as since angling for the 2020 run, her record bears no resemblance to figures who might actually fit the description like Larry Krasner or Keith Ellison. Even in a party that embraced Biden and Clinton style tough on crime policies, Harris stands out for her cruelty. She fought to keep innocent people in jail, blocked payouts to the wrongfully convicted, argued for keeping nonviolent offenders in jail as a source of cheap labor, withheld evidence that could have freed numerous prisoners, tried to dismiss a suit to end solitary confinement in California and denied gender reassignment surgery to trans inmates. A recent report detailed how Harris risked being held in contempt of court for resisting court orders, resisting a court order to release nonviolent prisoners, which one law professor compared to Southern resistance to to, to 1950s desegregation orders. Wow. Talk about a far left roast of Kamala Harris. 
Harris loves to laugh. Watching Harris cackling like a cartoon villain about prosecuting parents of truant school kids is one of the most one of the more bone chilling things you're likely to see in her politics. Other things Harris found funny, the idea of building schools rather than prisons and the concept of legalizing pot. Five years later, she laughed again, this time while running for president and fondly recalling her pot smoking days as she as she mugged for a younger audience. Extra hilarious was the fact that her office had convicted nearly 2000 people for marijuana offenses while she was San Francisco's district attorney. Harris's callousness towards the poor and powerless has been matched only by her sympathy for the rich and powerful. Most notoriously, Harris overruled her own office's recommendation to prosecute the predatory bank of current Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, who later donated to her Senate campaign, then allegedly tried to cover up her inaction. Okay, you get the point. The leftists do not like Kamala Harris. So how do you explain this? Kamala Harris more liberal than Bernie Sanders? Senate record analysis shows? Newsweek says the government watchdog website GovTrack US ranked all 100 US senators with an ideology ideology score from one most conservative to zero most liberal. The score is based on each senator's legislative behavior, namely how similar the pattern of bills and resolutions they co-sponsor are to other Congress members. Members of Congress with similar political views will tend to co-sponsor the same set of bills or bills by the same set of authors. And inversely, members of Congress with different political views will tend to co-sponsor different bills. GovTrack gave Sanders an ideology score of 0.02 and Harris a score of 0.00. Together, they ranked as the most liberal members of the Senate. The website said Harris joined bipartisan bills the least often compared to Senate Democrats. Of the 471 bills that Harris co-sponsored, 15% were introduced by a legislator who was not a Democrat. Okay, okay, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. I see what they're saying. They're not saying she's the furthest left. She's just very much so only willing to work with Democrats. A bit of a stickler, I suppose. Here's how it could work. Let's say you have a moderate Democrat who proposes, you know, some moderate policy. She joins in. That doesn't mean she's further left than Bernie Sanders, right? What they're really saying is that she's just not cooperating with any of the Republicans. And Bernie Sanders actually was willing to at least a little bit. What we're really seeing is that Kamala Harris is stubborn, if anything, but not necessarily far left. So maybe what Jacobin is saying is true. She's pursuing right wing goals, but along with corporate crony Democrats that I could understand. But allow me to bring you to the next article in the uh, in the list. Kamala Harris is a moderate, not even close. Welcome to the leftist Trojan horse operation op ed from The Washington Post. I just got to give you a clap, man. You are keeping me duly entertained with all of this mishmash of everything going in every random direction. But there was a funny story from the Hill where apparently a former Obama administration speechwriter said that she supports the Green New Deal. How is that moderate? Unless the Overton window has shifted so far that Green New Deal is moderate, which it's not. It's an economic transformation. It's a socialist. It's particularly socialist. Well, what is what is the Washington Post trying to say here? This is from Mark A. Thiessen, who says, in case you haven't noticed, there is a not so subtle campaign afoot to paint Kamala Harris as a centrist, an effort that exposes the left strategy to fool the American people into giving them political power in November. As presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden announced Harris as his running mate, the New York Times immediately declared her a pragmatic moderate. L.A. Times called her a centrist 
ABC News' George Stephanopoulos said Kamala Harris comes from the middle of the road, moderate wing of the Democratic Party. No, she doesn't. Harris was the most liberal compared to all senators in 2019, according to GovTrack. He was going to say Harris wasn't pragmatic either. GovTrack found she joined bipartisan bills the least often compared to Senate Democrats. Well, you're not really arguing against my, you know, the way I've broken this down. You're basically just saying what we heard from Trump. It doesn't mean she's far left, just unwilling to compromise. But here we go. According to the Manhattan Institute, budget expert Brian Reitel, Harris has proposed a mind-numbing $46 trillion in new spending over the next decade. She supports the Green New Deal, Medicare for All, and free uh, Medicare for All, and free taxpayer-funded health care for undocumented immigrants. She is also an abortion zealot who has suggested that a faithful Catholic who belongs to the Knights of Columbus is unfit to serve as a federal judge. She opposes deportation for those who illegally enter the U.S. and once compared ICE to the Klan. Okay, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, all right. Actually, sounds like she is far left. So what's going on? Is she far left? Isn't she far left? Jacobin says she did all these things that were, you know, right wing or just despotic. Maybe she's an authoritarian communist. Or maybe Washington Post makes a good point. Maybe the many leftists are just pretending she's not far left because they want to convince people that the far left actually opposes Kamala Harris. I don't know, man. I genuinely believe that many of the far leftists don't view her as a progressive. I'll tell you what I see happening. Kamala Harris and Joe Biden have absolutely embraced progressive policy, but not nearly enough for the far left. So they're kind of in the middle of nothing. You have the moderate Democrats and then all the way on the far left, a huge gap in the middle, and they can't stretch across the whole thing. It makes no sense. And thus, I don't think they're going to be able to muster up enough support. But here's the worst part of all of it. Take a look at this. Kamala Harris pick gives Joe Biden a chance to fix missteps in outreach to black voters, black leaders say. Was that your goal? Is that why they picked Kamala Harris? Someone who would be attacked from both sides because she has no real strong convictions? Think about it. When you try and pander to the far left, progress- to far left progressives and moderates, you just sound wishy-washy, like you don't actually support anything. Wasn't, wasn't, I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure she's the one who said she supported abolishing private health care and then later issued a statement saying it wasn't true. Uh-oh, realized you were embracing something too far left for your, for, you know, for your own good? Yeah, Kamala Harris is one of these people who will say anything to get elected. And so it looks like the reason they chose her and why they're saying that she's, she's the first black woman to be chosen as a VP, whereas in the past it was reported she was the first Indian woman. Both are true. It seems like they're trying to find inroads with the black community. This could be due to the fact that Donald Trump's support, according to several different polls in the black community, is very high, high enough to guarantee that he wins. It may not be true. I don't know. But when you see people like Kanye and Candace Owen and the Hodge twins, Terrence Williams, many other people, you know, uh, high profile members of the black community coming out saying they, they're, they're all in for Trump. I mean, this, it may be true. Maybe then the Democrats become desperate to pander to intersectionality. So they say, we need a candidate who's a POC female. And that's what Joe Biden literally said. Well, I got bad news for you, Democrats, if that was your angle, because that ain't working either. Take, take a look at this. Kamala Harris divides blacks. One third dis pick now less likely to vote for Biden. You know why? Because Kamala Harris is a despot because she was locking people up and laughing about it. Because Joe Biden's crime bill and the things Kamala Harris was, was pushing and pursuing 
disproportionately affect minority communities. Now, you, we can have all the arguments in the world about it, but it's not, I'm, I'm not here to argue why, why these stats are the way they are. Just that, at least among the black community, I'm sure many people realize she's doing the same thing Biden did. And it's resulting in higher, higher uh, um, proportional incarceration rates. And she laughs about it. Take a look at this. The examiner writes, in a surprise, Joe Biden's pick of Kamala Harris, the first black woman on a presidential ticket, has divided the black vote in a particularly a potentially damaging way. In the latest Rasmussen Reports survey, one of the first since Biden chose Harris, a third of likely voters who are black said they are less likely to vote for the Democratic ticket. A third said they were more likely to back it. And about a third said it will either have no impact on their choice or weren't sure. This is important. You know why? If they're going to take heat from all sides on this one, they've gained nothing. She's, she's, she's a progressive, I guess. They're trying to argue. Well, none of the progressives support you. Sorry. She's viewed by the New York Times and others as a moderate. Well, the moderates don't support you either because you're a despot. I mean, actually, I take that back. Maybe the moderates do. But the right and many independents view her as far left. She's too far left for the independent voter, too far right for the, for the progressive voter. And all she does among black voters is split them up. They made no gains here. So quite literally, they've created nothing but controversy, brought forth someone that many people don't like, who laughs and can't answer questions, is unpopular, unlikable, and viewed as disingenuous, and they're not even making inroads with minority communities. Well, I'm not surprised. This has been the track of the Democrats for quite some time. To be fair, however, maybe the reality is there's no solution for them. If they don't embrace at least a little bit of the far left, then they lose half their voting block. The Democrats are absolutely split between, you know, uh, moderate and, and, and progressive uh, voters. The conservative Democrat, which used to exist, is mostly gone. I kid you not, they're conservative. there were two conservative Democrats left last time in, the, in 2018. I think for the most part, they're out. Now you've got the progressives taking over and the Democrats are desperate for unity, which is why I find all of this just so insanely hilarious. Take a look at this from the Boston Globe. Democrats are no longer a party in disarray. The party approaches its convention united behind the Biden-Harris ticket and a progressive agenda. Bravo. They're united. Democrats have come together under a progressive agenda, says the Boston Globe. Hmm. Boston Globe is a bit of a mainstream moderate um, website, news publication. So what are, what are the leftists saying about the convention? Oh, here's the nation. The Democratic convention is shaping up to be a centrist hoedown. The recently released of speakers at next week's convention show just how scared Democrats are to make a serious policy adjustment. I'm sorry. They've gained nothing but hatred from this. That's all. That's all they got. So what, 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 what can we really expect from any, you know, I'm sorry, man. I'll just put it this way. The Democrats have tried. Maybe they're just incapable. I don't know. Maybe this was the best they could do. Honestly, I just don't know. Uh, the, the examiner goes on to say, Biden has recently made a handful of gaffes seen as damaging his effort to shore up the normally Democratic black vote. Party officials said they hoped that Harris would help Biden win the 90% of the black vote Democrats commonly get. But the Rasmussen poll is a red flag, and it follows other recent polls by the firm that show support for President Trump. For the month of, month of July, Rasmussen said the black, that black approval of Trump was at 36% before the coronavirus crisis. Black employment had hit a high, and his administration had, had tackled key issues in the African-American community, 
including criminal justice reform and inner city opportunity zones. I think Trump means it. And I think Kamala Harris has nothing to offer other than a very horrifying track record where even Jacobin says she cackles like a cartoon villain. So what do we see? Well, over at Politico, their best bet is to try and falsely frame a narrative. This is what the media has been doing. And to me, it's wow, rather revealing. Trump first surfaced the conspiracy theory about Kamala Harris being, uh, you know, ineligible to run for office. That's what they're claiming. They're saying, uh, you know, it was it was he first surfaced the conspiracy theory in a news conference uh, that he had that he had heard Harris, the daughter of Jamaican and Indian immigrants, doesn't meet the requirements. Here's the best part. Trump didn't surface any of this. Trump was asked about it. I kid you not. A reporter asked Trump and he said, I just heard about this today. Uh, I don't know. I don't I don't know anything about it. I heard the guy is well qualified, but um, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't know anything about it. What was he supposed to say? What was what was he supposed to say? When they brought up the articles, I honestly don't know. I didn't read it. And because of this, that's the smear you get. I'll tell you what they're doing. Their last resort. Kamala Harris was a failure in many ways for the Democratic ticket. Left, right, both don't like her. She's not winning any favors. And the black community is divided. So what do they go for? Trump is a bigot. Trump's pulling out the racist birther conspiracies. It's the best they could do. And it was their Trump card. They knew their worst case scenario, if they couldn't muster support from the left, from the moderates or the right, or from the black community, hey, just call Donald Trump racist, because that's what we did last time, right? I can't believe this, man. Is this the best they have to offer? That's what they tried in 2016. And here we go again. Donald Trump, the racist birther conspiracy. He didn't bring it up. You did. A journalist did. How is it his fault? Here we go, man. The same old game. Well, I'll tell you what. Take a look at this. We've got the RCP, Real Clear Politics Average. Donald Trump took a decent hit in the aggregate polling down to a low of around 41.3, I believe. Right now, it's at 43.3. Guess what? That's basically an average. It's a little bit higher than the average first presidency, and it's where he's floated for a long time. Not really seeing any changes here. Now, keep in mind, when Donald Trump won, this is, or I should say, just around the, just around after he, uh, just around the time he, uh, after he won, he was at 43.8, hit a nice little high of around, you know, 45, 46, and then fell down for the first year into the high 30s, low 40s. Donald Trump is currently where he is at uh, when he got elected in the first place. So if you're going to offer up these really awful candidates and the best thing you can do is Trump is a bigot, I don't think you're going to be able to pull this one off. I'm sorry. I just don't see it. Now, keep in mind, however, I've said this several times. Apparently, I don't say it enough. Do not rest thinking you've won. Do not get overconfident. I don't care what party you're, you're voting for. Maybe it's Libertarian. Maybe it's Democrat. Maybe it's Trump. Maybe it's Green Party. Whatever it is. No matter what your circumstance, never underestimate your opponent. Okay? If you want Trump to win, you need to make sure that you are getting ready to go out and vote that you've applied for your mail-in ballot, your early ballot, your absentee, whatever it is you need to do, because trickery is afoot. We've got crazy conspiracies flying around, mail-in voting, post office, all this craziness. You know what I really love? That protesters apparently went to like the postmaster general's house protesting. And it's like, it, it, you can go to the guy's house. Can't you go to a voting booth? Yeah, whatever. I get it. They want to mail-in vote. Fine, whatever. They're pushing these weird conspiracies about mailboxes being stolen. Oh, whatever, man. It's the best they can muster. They tried the same strategy in 2016, but they are incapable of learning. And it really does grind my gears. Russia 
in 2015 and 16. Failed. Didn't work. Russia is being supported by or is supporting Donald Trump. That conspiracy didn't work. Why is the post office conspiracy supposed to work? It's not. Well, Trump's a bigot. That's not going to work either. You got unlikable candidates, man. They are bad. Democrats need to need, need new people, fresh faces, strong uh, personalities, charismatic leaders. They have none of it. I'll tell you what, you know, you know, who's got it in spades? Kanye West. Kanye West congratulates Kamala Harris on VP nomination. It's an honor to run against you. Boy, do I love this man. He keeps life interesting. I tell you what. All right. Kanye, it, the whole thing does feel a bit silly. Apparently, you know, he's going to walk for office. That's what he's saying. I don't know. It's fun. But I do want to wrap up with one thing. I look at all of this news and I think my assessment on everything I gave you was fair. But I want to make sure I'm, I'm, the, I'm as fair as I can possibly be by showing this one last poll from today. 54% approve of Harris selection, including one in four Republicans, according to a poll. Most Americans approve, more Americans approve than disapprove by a 25 point, point margin. The reason why this doesn't weigh too heavily on me in terms of my assessment that it's backfiring on the Democrats is that 54% is relatively low, I guess. I guess it really comes down to do Democrats approve of this. And, then, and it's fine, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they approve of this because she's a good candidate. It could be that Republicans approve of her because she's actually a bad candidate and it's good for Trump. You know what I mean? They're happy that she chose it. I, I, I know they're probably getting more specific in the questions, but the, 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 the gist of what I'm trying to get to here is, well, we are seeing some negative things. The far left don't like her. The, the, you know, the, the right, right clearly doesn't like her. Maybe the moderates kind of do. And certainly she hasn't helped Democrats in terms of the black vote at all. It is possible that a decent amount of people do support her. But I don't think 54% is enough. That's about it. If you look at Donald Trump's approval ratings relative or, or the national polls from Trump to Biden, it's comparable. Joe Biden's got like a seven point lead. So 54% approving of Harris falls in line. If the polling is bad, well, then what does this poll really matter? What matters to me is sentiment we've seen from political actors. And you get everybody basically ragging on Kamala Harris. So I'm sorry. I don't think it's worked out very well for the Democrats. But again, maybe it was the best they could have done. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastnews. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all there. Night 80? Is it really 80? I thought it was like 77 yesterday. Why does the number keep jumping like this? Whatever, man. But there, there, there's a new phrase that I'm loving with all of the chaos that's emerging, and it's called mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful. You see, here from KGW8, they say Portland protest night 80. Police declare midnight riot in Laurelhurst. A mostly peaceful protest outside a sheriff's office in Portland's Laurelhurst was declared a riot at midnight. Things only escalated from there. Wow. What does mostly peaceful mean? So like if you're fighting someone, but you stop fighting for a little bit, it's mostly peaceful. If you only hit them one time and they go down, is it still mostly peaceful? It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It is a violent riot. They've been violent riots, but you know, you've probably watched every single morning update I've done thus far, or at least many of you have. But it's not just about me mocking the stupid news, as I often do. It's about, well, I got to say, guys, escalation. Protests sparked battles across the U.S. Antifa and Proud Boys brawl in Michigan. Cops clash with BLM in Chicago. And pro-police demonstrators fire gunshots in Portland as rallies turn violent. Things are getting crazy out there. Proud Boys are back, baby. They're not, they're not taking this lying down. Antifa has been romping about for almost three months now. 
I know, I know, Antifa, Black Lives Matter rioters, whatever you want to call it. And I'm telling you, one of the craziest things I've seen, these Proud Boys are showing up with what looks like paintball guns, for real. And they're, they're, they got pepper spray and paintball guns. An escalation for sure. The, the hearing that there were gunshots being fired to me is very disconcerting. And apparently it came from the pro-police groups or the counter-protesters opposing Antifa. And I'm going to say it right now, man. I believe it's likely there. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what the reports are. You just, uh, according to local news, they heard the gunshots. I don't think they saw them. Of course, the left is going to lie and try and claim they were just randomly shooting at us. They may have been some kind of... I, look, my understanding is people on the right know that you only shoot to actually to, to kill, to destroy, to hit what you're trying to hit. So it sounds like if I was going to make an assumption, not warning shots. And if I was going to make more assumptions, I'd say you don't see this a lot from the right. The right does it when they have reason to do it. Like that dude in Austin who walked up with the rifle to the car, the dude inside fired several rounds, killed the dude. Someone fired back. If I'm hearing that pro-police demonstrators fired gunshots, I'm assuming they were trying to hit something. And I'm assuming that they had reason to try and hit something, probably because they were being attacked. And we've got tons of videos of this. There's a video out of Michigan. The Proud Boys don't start fights, but they finish it. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about whether you, can, you like them, you don't like them, Antifa, otherwise I'm telling you, these guys mean business. They're marching down the streets with their flags. Some of them have, have you know, paintball guns, and they've got pepper spray. But we see these videos, man, of these Black Lives Matter rioters walking up to them and starting fights. Nah, you shouldn't be doing this. Let, you, let, you leave people to do their thing. The ACLU did it with the Klan back in, in Skokie, Illinois, back in, I think it was the 90s. You let them march, you let them get bored, you do, they do their thing, right? People want to march to assert their right to protest. Well, so be it. Everybody back off. Otherwise, things are going to start getting pretty spicy. Well, that's exactly what happened. And I got some videos once again from uh, Andy No. Of course, uh, many, some of the videos from Andy are sourced from other people, which, you know, Twitter does credit. And I also want to highlight one very important thing, a couple important things too, and we'll read through this. There were some very serious incidents yesterday in Portland and Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, apparently there's like a mass shooting. In Portland, there was like a hostage or, or like some, some, some guy had a gun, he was armed, and there was a police standoff or something like that. I don't know if there's hostages involved. I don't think so. But we, we've got these very serious, you know, we, we've got a very serious escalation in, in lethal crime happening across this country at a time when cops are being strained by these ongoing riots. And then Ann Coulter tweeted this morning. I got, I got to bring it up. She called it Trump's America. Yeah, we'll play that game. All right, we'll play that game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to debunk the Trump's America thing directly for Ann Coulter. But let's read the story first and see what happened across this country. The Daily Mail reports brawls between Antifa and far-right Proud Boys broke out on the streets of a Michigan city on Saturday as protests turned violent across the United States this weekend. From Portland in the West to Miami in the East, Michigan, Salt Lake City, Minneapolis, and Chicago, Americans took to the streets on Saturday to demand change. I love this framing, by the way. Demand change. Wait, no, they're not demanding anything. It, they're, they're literally not demanding anything. This is evidenced by the actual Black Lives Matter activists in Portland and Seattle saying, we don't know what they're protesting for. I'm not exaggerating. I read the story the other day. They said, we already got reductions in police. We've already got the moral, you know, the moral victory in the press. What do they want now? They're just running around starting fires. They say in Michigan, a rally by the far right group Proud Boys turned violent in downtown Kalamazoo with demonstrators clashing with anti-racism protesters at a vigil organized by the first congressional church. The Proud Boys, here, uh, this is a quote, 
uh, I believe it's incorrect too. The Proud Boys, they not only have hatred for Jewish people and Muslim people, but they've also, they're also very hateful of anybody who doesn't look like them or act like them, said Reverend Nathan Dennison, the church's pastor. Okay, that's not true. It may be true of many, some, I don't know. I can tell you that I've actually interviewed many Proud Boys, and I don't believe that to be the case. Though I certainly think they're a more zealous bunch than like your regular conservative, for sure. That's why they put on, you know, the the the, the polo shirts. They get tattoos. These people are are uh, you know, they're zealous. I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily the right word, but active to say the least. But I will push back on the far right. You know, um, I don't believe the Proud Boys are inherently far right. They may be traditionalist and conservative, but what does far right really mean? Listen. When it comes to the Black Lives Matter activists, they've got, they literally have far left ideology. They have Marxist uh, uh, ideology, communism. They're, they're, they're socialists. They're democratic socialists. That's economically far left. They're all, also ultra progressive, which is absolutely aligned with far left. Far right would, imp- would imply like ultra traditionalism and or, or laissez faire economics. I don't think that's true of the Proud Boys. I think what we've seen is that the, the, the media, they do this because they're skewing the Overton window as far left as possible. I read an article the other day where uh, I think it was an Obama speechwriter was laughing at the idea that Kamala Harris, Harris was a moderate. And he was like, she has one of the most progressive track records in the Senate. If she's a moderate, they've shifted the over, Overton window so far left that the Green New Deal is moderate. He started laughing, says, good, good for them. I like it. Something like that. But it's hilarious. It's, it's ridiculous. The Proud Boys likely are, if you were to look at their actual political views, they are center right. They're an organized group. The only real thing, in my opinion, that defines them is an organized group. And not even particularly uh, um, strongly organized, to say the least. I believe that the chair, uh, Enrique Terrio, I think I'm getting your name right, Enrique, uh, he's, uh, he's a black guy. So I don't, you know, they, they try and, and, and pass this off. I think, I think what they're going for with, with things like this is that they want to create a boogeyman. And this is why I always say to people on the right, you got to be careful because the media is not playing fair. Again, in almost every circumstance, I say almost, that I've seen, the Proud Boys do not start the fights. And that's actually something they say. They say they won't start it, but they'll finish it. And that very much aligns with kind of the way they talk, you know, F around and find out, they say. You let them march through the street and, they, and they're done. I, I, always, I always say this. I'm like, the craziest thing about the Proud Boys versus Antifa that we've seen over the past several years is that if Antifa never showed up or just let them do their thing, they'd walk around with American flags and then they'd go to a bar and they'd hang out and, and cheer and, you know, I don't know, sing the national anthem or something. I'm kidding, but you know what I mean? Like, they'd hang out with their American flags, have a beer, and that'd be the end of it. But they show up and they start fights. Now, here's the problem. The media is almost always going to frame it as though the right wing is bad. It's a very, very strange phenomenon we have in this country, and it's resulting in very serious problems. We, uh, something Jordan Peterson often would talk about is we know when the far right goes too far, but not when the far left goes too far. So long as we do not check the far left, we are in for some serious trouble. Right now, we got the COVID pandemic. There's no discussion allowed at all about anything that might counter the narrative, even if it comes from the mouth of the president. That's insane. You get a group of people like the Proud Boys, some of which are actually liberal. I'm not even kidding. You know, like if you actually see interviews with these people, some of them are staunch conservatives. Some of them are like classical liberals or old school liberals. Some of them are in interracial relationships. They're just an organized pro-America group. I think they call themselves Western chauvinists. You can criticize them for by, by all means. Just make sure you do it right. 
The same is true for Antifa. People like to say they're anarchists. They're not anarchists. Okay, they are not. Anarchists are sitting on a farm with their shoes off, eating, you know, sharing their watermelon with each other and smoking pot. People like to say that left libertarian in the political compass is Antifa. No, it isn't. Libertarians can't use violence against other people to impose their will. That's not liberty. That's authority. That's you asserting authority over another person. They seem, these people seem to think that because Antifa doesn't have institutional power, it's not authority. No, individuals can, can assert authority over others. And that's what the far left does. They're authoritarian. And you, you can argue they're not necessarily statist, but they kind of are. They say, quote, let's work together to remain peaceful and manifest positive energy with each other, Dennison told the crowd. Shortly after chanting, mostly maskless Proud Boys marched toward the park's entrance, waving American Trump and Gadsden flags. Violence broke out soon after. Yes, I'll tell you, a group walked up to them. At least that's what I saw in the video, walked up to them and started a fight. In fact, a lot of the videos where the Proud Boys are like walking on the street. There's one Andy No has where they walk up and the guy just pulls out mason sprays and and then the the guy like falls back. It's like, dude, don't don't walk up to these people bringing your violence. They're they're walking down the street minding their business. There's another there's another video going viral where this woman like runs up behind the back of the march that's yelling and then punches a guy several times, and then she gets pepper sprayed as well. They say police arrived around 2 p.m. to try and separate the rival protests. In Chicago, police used pepper spray and batons to repel hundreds of demonstrators who took to the streets calling for defunding the police. Literally not even a week after people stormed through the city, smashing everything up and stealing, these people come out and defend all of it. I was talking to a friend of mine in Chicago who was like, you know, these people talking about this little boy, you know, they're trying to distract from, distract from what Black Lives Matter is protesting for. And I said, what are they protesting for? What are they protesting for? And I, I mean, it seriously, 13 unarmed black men were shot and killed by the police last year. My understanding is there's 300 to 400 million police interactions. Now that's shot and killed. Uh, we, we, Washington Post doesn't have the, the tracking numbers for just general, you know, questionable death, which is substantial. I, I'm assuming is probably a bit higher but still, I understand each and every one of these is a tragedy, 100%. And we can, we can call for justice in particular instances. But what, what does that have to do with smashing up windows, looting, destroying everything? What are they even protesting for? Going business to business, demanding money in Louisville? Going to, to Gucci and shooting a gun at the window several times? They're not, what, what are you talking about? Now they're out there defending the looters who are just trying to steal Gucci bags? It's not a protest for anything, man. It's opportunism. They say one protester was apparently seen bashing an officer over the head with a skateboard. Is that a peaceful protest? Mostly peaceful protest. Officers then ripped umbrellas and bikes from protesters' hands and sprayed the crowd with a chemical irritant, the Sun-Times reported. The demonstrations began at Chicago's iconic Bean before the group traveled to Michigan Avenue and Wacker Drive. Multiple arrests were witnessed at the scene, NBC5 said. The group then continued to Michigan Avenue and Randolph Street heading toward Chicago's Loop as city bridges remained lifted, preventing them from crossing the Chicago River. And I got a tweet for you. This is from Phil That Remains on Twitter. Life comes at you fast. In, in one tweet, who shut us down? We shut us down, chant the protesters as they continue west on Randolph, gathering at Randolph State. And then protesters are completely blocked in here at LaSalle in the loop, begging police to let them go home. Yeah. 
I've seen it over and over and over again. They march around, bash a cop over there with a skateboard. They scream, they vandalize, they spray paint. And when they get caught, they go, help, help, please. Just let us go home, please. We don't want any trouble. Look, look, man, I said it before. I'll say it again. You want to go and peacefully protest? By all means, the moment things get violent, you better get out of there. I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to play games. And people will say, I didn't get violent. No, but you're aiding and abetting those who are. If you don't stop the violence and, and like there's that video I, I love to cite where they grab the guy bashing up the ground and hand him the cops. That keeps your protest peaceful and you still get to engage in your civil disobedience, which jams things up and then results in people being aware of your cause. Disruption is bad for, for, for protest and the protesters know this. But a little bit of disruption disruption can be okay. That's why they do, you know, blocking streets or doors. Violence, however, extreme disruption is very bad. It's very, very bad. And so they won't do anything about it. They're just going to keep looking worse and worse and then begging, please, please let us out. Yeah, sorry. They say the group marched to uh, Randolph Street uh, where the bridges are lifted. A heavy police presence was seen in the area with several officers both in front of and behind marching demonstrators and other lines of officers blocking the streets. The group chanted things like no justice, no peace, as they called for defunding the police, removing police from the city's public schools and abolishing ICE. And we can see a massive wall of cops here in Chicago. Something interesting, too, about Chicago, for those that aren't familiar, is that we have the city was actually like lifted up at one point where they, they, they basically built roads on top of roads and created something called Lower Lower Wacker. I think there's like Lower Lower Wacker. Um, it's been a long time since I've been there. And, you know, I actually didn't live in the downtown area. But Lower Wacker and Wacker Drive, you go under the street and then there's basically like a kind of subterranean complex. It's really weird. And, and supposedly you can see these buildings, like the original entrances under the ground because they built up a new street. It's kind of crazy, right? So I wonder, I, I don't know, just something interesting I thought would be, you know, fun to say. We can see them running through the streets. They're, they're LARPing. It's just, it's live action role play. They don't know what they want. They don't, they don't want anything, if you were to ask me. Here's a cop. They got their batons out. Cops kill, they say. Over here, they say in Bron- uh, this is from Bronzeville, Chicago. You got this guy, one nation fists, and he's right, wait, you know, waving a flag. Here we can see the drawbridges are lifted up. This is serious. For, like, for people that don't know, lifting the drawbridges isolates a large portion of the downtown area from the rest of the city, sort of. It creates like a peninsula where it's very difficult. You, you, like, you literally can't get into downtown. You'd have to probably walk, I, I think, a couple miles because there's one bridge that's still lifted. Um, that's still down, I mean. And that's for emergency vehicles. They won't lift all the bridges. But you'd have to walk all the way around, which might be a couple of miles, to get back into the downtown area. And if you live in the downtown area, I'm not sure how many people do, but I think some do. You're not crossing over to the near north side or the Gold Coast. It, it's not like an island or anything, though. It's, it's, it, the river basically creates a peninsula, so you can go south and go around. It's just inconvenient, to say the least. And I think for the average person, it, 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 it cuts you off. However, you can take a train. I mean, the, tra- the trains still go across the river and all that stuff. They go on to mention uh, about Portland and all that stuff. But here's what I want to do. I want to show you some tweets from Andy, give you an idea of what's going on. Andy, no tweets. Antifa militant gets maced after approaching conservative group uh, aggressively in downtown Portland earlier today. So one thing I noticed, which I find interesting, is that the Proud Boys have pepper spray. They have paintball guns. And it's not not just Proud Boys. It's just the the, the counter protests, the right wing groups. I don't even want to say they're counter protesters because there's people who are just marching. And then we have this one. This one to me uh, is, is one of the more shocking bits of escalation. 
Andino tweets, this is what Antifa do to people they encounter in the street. Watch them assault and hit a man walking away from the Antifa riot in Southeast Portland. They bring bats precisely for this purpose. These guys are just walking. I don't know who these guys are. And this guy's got a bat and he's jabbing it in his back and then he pushes him to the ground and they're screaming, move. This is what these whiny, you know, babies do when they, when you don't have the numbers to go up against them. Now, to be fair, I think if you took one proud boy or one even regular American, like one regular dude up against your average Antifa, no question, Antifa loses. I'm not even, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to insult Antifa. I think that's a fact. These Antifa guys tend to be smaller, scrawnier, and again, not trying to be some stupid, you know, make some stupid insults. Sometimes they have weapons. However, we've seen it time and time again. When these Antifa guys who are untrained and undisciplined try to fight conservatives or just regular people who are probably more mature and more disciplined, they get stomped out. That's why they rely on hard numbers. That's why they're collectivists in the first place. So they find smaller groups to pick on. The moment that group gets bigger, say the Proud Boys, they get stomped out. They lose. And you know what? In New York, some Proud Boys went to prison because when Antifa was surrounding this, this, this event with Gavin McInnes, the founder, and they were you know taunting, the Proud Boys chose to run towards him and engage. Fight breaks out. The Proud Boys cooperated with the police. Antifa fled. The cops said we would arrest them both, but Antifa fled. So only the Proud Boys and the Proud Boys end up going to prison because they cooperated with police. That's just that's literally the truth, you know, whether you like it or not. Andy No says a man takes off his shirt and wants to fight police in Portland. He charges in and is showered with pepper spray and goes down. Wow. Who would have seen that coming? Well, I want to do this. I want to show you Ann Coulter's response to the video of people getting harassed and bullied. She said Trump's America and then posted Andy No's tweet. I don't I don't I don't get it. Is this this is willfully disingenuous just to be like, is Ann Coulter trying to hedge her bets? Is she concerned that Trump is going to lose and that she'll be forever branded as one of these Trumpsters or something? I don't I don't I don't understand. How about you take a look at this objectively and figure out what's really going on? You can talk about protests, you can talk about peaceful protests, you can talk about the rights of citizens to, to walk around their neighborhood. And we can talk about who's responsible for what's going on. And while you can technically say, yes, this is Trump's America. In that sense, I would say in Trump's America, he doesn't violate the state's rights or the constitutional rights of the states by deploying feds into areas where he has no jurisdiction or no justified use of force. In which case, yes, democratic states and cities, you will see people being harassed, pushed and beaten and fights will break out. That is Trump's America because Trump is the president and he is in charge of the federal government and he doesn't intervene with federal law enforcement in local matters. It's that simple. Now I'll tell you what we're really seeing. This, 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 this video is not Trump's America. It's Kate Brown's Oregon. It's a video. I'm pretty sure it's from Portland. It's from Portland. It's Kate Brown's Oregon, where she said, tell the feds to stay in the courthouse. We'll deploy state police and they'll take care of it. And then the state police said, we are retreating from the city because you won't prosecute any of the people we arrest. What's the point? They keep cutting them loose. It's their new district attorney who won't arrest these people. That's not on Trump. The feds are actually arresting these, these crazy people in New York. And I, I believe New York. And I, I, I think it was both New York, maybe New York, New York and Chicago. They, they actually arrested a guy trying to cut NYPD brake lines because the courts release him. They swoop in and arrest him and then argue their federal jurisdiction has to do with the fact that these vehicles drive on interstate highways and, 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 and the NYPD engages in interstate commerce with these vehicles. Could you not? Well, it's because you know, New York is very, very close to Jersey and Connecticut. So I guess technically it's true. 
And my, I, I could be wrong about this, but seeing the feds make that argument, I kind of laughed. I'm like, no, it's just the DOJ trying to stop the insanity. So when I see this in Portland, I'm like, Trump did deploy feds he, he, he to the courthouse and they were policing. Are you mad about that too, Ann Coulter? I don't understand what the point is because I see Ann tweet these things all the time that are like, orange man bad. He's not doing the wall. Why won't people wake up? And I'm like, what do you, what, what do you, like, can, can you give me, and I'm just, you know what, man, Trump's America. No, I'm sorry. In Biden's America, he wouldn't even deploy federal law enforcement to deal with any of this stuff. You think, you think I'm going to, I'm going to be happy about that? Okay, fine. This is all happening in Trump's America. I get it. But you know what? If that's all she intended to say is that it's happening right now under Trump's watch, that's, that's true. It's, it's fine. It's true. It is. But it sounds like she's trying to put the blame on Trump. And it's like, well, I guess you could argue that Trump should never have retreated. But I think Trump made a strong point by saying it wasn't even necessarily Trump, the DHS saying, OK, we'll have uh, our officers stay in the courthouse and you have your state police come out. And then the riots kept happening and it proved the DHS 100 percent right. It proved Trump right. So I'll tell you what, in Trump's America, he's repeatedly proven right when the violent riots aren't stopped by the Democrats. And if you want him to violate the, the laws of uh, the, the, like violate the Constitution and states rights by sending in troops, fine. To be fair, however, to be completely fair, Trump could invoke the Insurrection Act. And perhaps that's what Ann Coulter is asking for. Maybe if that's the case, then fine. So be it. I understand that opinion. I don't think that's really what she's saying. But maybe she is. Sure. Maybe she's calling for Trump to invoke the Insurrection Act. And if that's the case, there you go. Anyway, I'll leave it there. This is night 80 in Portland, apparently. Is it really night 80? I'm going to count the nights because yesterday it was like 77. And now they're saying 80. Whatever, man. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all next time. More mass protests and riots across the country. News of rolling blackouts in California. And now a blog post from a famous author saying that New York is not going to recover from this. They're basically dead. And one thing that all these places have in common, or at least most of them, is that they're run by Democrats. We actually have a really interesting story now coming out of South Dakota, where South Dakota has declined Donald Trump's $400 boost to unemployment because most of the people have gotten their jobs back. What's really interesting about South Dakota, they never locked down. In fact, the people who live there held a parade for their governor, Christine Nome. Interestingly, many other states that did lock down are under extreme duress or are even arresting people. There is no cohesive national plan, I suppose. And it's not necessarily the fault of the federal government. I I would actually argue it's not because all these states are doing their own thing. But it should be noted that the cities that are failing, the states that are failing and the states that are either doing okay or doing well. Well, the clear dividing line is Democrats are running the places that are falling apart and Republicans tend to be running the places that are doing really, really well. I want to show you this story and I want to talk about this here. This is a this is a blog post from James Altucher. He's a famous author, I suppose. I'm not super familiar, but I saw this article. It's very fascinating. It breaks down why New York will never recover from this. A downward deflationary spiral, no business, no restaurants. But I do want to talk about South Dakota. And I want to highlight this. Protests coming to residential neighborhoods. You know, look, man, I know a lot of people like to comment and say things like too much doom and gloom. You know, Tim was saying all these things are going to happen. I said this was going to happen. A lot of what I've said was going to happen. 
has actually happened. And it's not because I'm making hard predictions. It's easy predictions. When Antifa is chased out of a city and they run through a neighborhood, I say, next, they're going to start coming to people's homes. They literally do this. I think it's obvious what we're seeing. And we have more and more. I don't necessarily want to say data to back it up, but come on, man. South Dakota is actually rejecting the federal aid. Meanwhile, all of the Facebook meme posts I see from the left are demanding more money. Well, it's because these people on the left, they live in these big Democrat controlled cities and they're desperate for funds, probably because of mismanagement. What's really interesting as well, as it pertains to defund the police, it's no wonder all of these jurisdictions are saying, okay, we'll defund the police. Well, they're desperate for cash. They're horribly mismanaged. They need money. They're not going to get it from Trump for the most part. You know, when it comes to the unemployment stuff, Trump wants them to kind of pay some of the costs. But yeah, they're going to find the money somewhere. So let's start with, I guess, the good news. And then we'll talk about, I guess, kind of the bad news. New York. It's a sad story. You know, Trump called it uh, something like a diamond, you know, like a shining diamond. New York is fantastic. Trump once saved the city and now it is falling apart before our eyes. Donald Trump is going to try to win New York state. He said it. And I think it's entirely possible when you see how bad things are getting. But with everybody moving and relocating to other places, perhaps, perhaps the only people left in New York are the I guess the progressives and the Democrats who are okay with what the city is doing because they voted for it. I kind of I kind of imagine a lot of people in New York who stay are just unable to leave and are probably unhappy. But let's see what's happening in, in South Dakota. Check this out. They say South Dakota appear to be the first state to decline boosted federal employment aid designated under an executive order signed by President Trump earlier this month amid the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Governor Christine Nome one of Trump's most vocal allies, said the state did not need to accept the additional federal jobless aid because workers are being rehired and its economy is on the mend after enduring economic fallout spurred by the outbreak of COVID-19. Trump signed an executive memorandum on August 8th to replace the $600 weekly, the $600 boost unemployed residents received in their weekly payments with a $400 payment, a quarter of which will be paid by the state. Now, I just want to point out how the fake news tries to claim Donald Trump is reducing everyone's benefits by $200, when in fact there were no benefits. The bill had stalled. So Trump signed an executive memorandum to force something through. Otherwise, it would have been zero. So he took your zero. He made it 400. Republicans wanted to go down at 200. Democrats wanted to stay at six. The Republicans and Trump said compromise. Democrats said no. So Trump said, fine, push it through. Noam said Friday that she opted to forego the cash in South Dakota entirely, claiming the state had recovered around 80% of its pandemic-related job losses. My administration is very grateful for the additional flexibility that this effort would have provided. But South Dakota is in the fortunate position of not needing to accept it, Noam said in a statement. South Dakota's economy, having never been shut down, has recovered nearly 80% of our job losses. South Dakota is the only state in the nation that didn't have the extended benefits kick in because our insured unemployment rate has been the lowest in the nation. So she went on a tweet thread about it. The governor controversially didn't shut down the state businesses at the beginning of the pandemic to stem the spread of COVID-19. Noam said that decision has now led to the fact that many, many businesses are now considering relocating to the state because she opted not to shut down. Economists and other experts have insisted the reality of the fallout caused by the pandemic is much more complicated in South Dakota than Nome claims. Nome boasted earlier this week that South Dakota, where coronavirus cases have surpassed 10,000 since February, boasted the country's lowest insured jobless rate at around 3.5 percent. 
However, the figure measures those who receive benefits compared with total labor, total labor force. Now, you're, you're not going to play this game for me. I, I, I literally went to the, what was it, the John Hopkins COVID tracker. They were ragging on South Dakota hard for not shutting down. And when you looked at the data, South Dakota was like in the middle to the lower middle of, you know, cases. They were not being heavily impacted. There was very little reason to shut down. She made the right choice. Their GDP actually, according to one chart I saw, improved a little bit where many others actually took major hits. Now, I think ultimately South Dakota did take a hit, but they threw a parade for her. Guess what? Things have been improving to the point where she doesn't need the funding from the federal government. Talk about well managed, very well managed. What a good job. Now, I want to highlight this story because it feeds really well into this blog post from James Altucher. NYC is dead forever. Here's why. I mean, I'll give you the simple, the simple answer. People fled because of COVID and then people fled because of mass rioting. But he goes through multiple points talking about how the COVID lockdown ensured the demise of the city. Now, this guy, look, he says he's an entrepreneur and an angel investor. He says, I've achieved the rank of chess master and the author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Choose Yourself, starting 20 companies. You know what, man? I think there's a lot of people who don't want to hear it. And if you don't, then by all means, you don't have to watch my videos. I'm not trying to be mean or anything. I just think there are really bad things happening right now. And the more that we pay attention to them, the better chances we, we have of actually improving them. What we're seeing here is the good alongside the bad. South Dakota is doing great. It's fantastic news. They don't need federal money. Wonderful. It should be an example to all of these other jurisdictions. But what is going on with New York City? Like I said earlier, I think the, the, the common thread here is the Democrats just in these jurisdictions do not know how to run things. I'm sorry. It's just a fact. You had Andrew Cuomo, Phil Murphy, many of these governors putting sick patients into nursing homes. They had COVID. They brought it in there and people died. This made everyone panic. And now because there is an inability to be challenged by these, you know, hard blue jurisdictions, they can only talk about how bad it is. I saw a tweet from a journalist today talking about how they were going to be flying on a plane and they were absolutely terrified and didn't know what to do. Terrified of what? This person is like in their early 30s. What are you worried about? Older people got sick. Yes, people with comorbidities. But why would a, a, a young uh, individual be panicking this way? Because the only information they get is saying that, that COVID is worse than it's ever been. There's no alternative. Listen, there is a possibility, in my opinion, that you know there will come a time when New York recovers from this. This individual, however, says no. What I see is with all the with all the negativity and all the, you know, the, 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 the crazy stories, I, I, I admit that, you know, get covered often. South Dakota is an example of how to do things right and how to improve things and an opportunity for people to move there and start building up big business. South Dakota, hey, man, business is booming. Come on down. New York City, on the other hand, is locked down. And what am I supposed to say about that? Bill de Blasio and Cuomo are doing this and they are strangling the city. There's no tourists. So what businesses can actually flourish? Restaurants? Sorry, people are moving out. The tourism industry that sells souvenirs and all that stuff, they have nothing to sell. They have no one to sell to. And they've put up checkpoints around the city. It's like it's on purpose. Take a look at this. James says every subculture he loved was in NYC. He could play chess all day and night. He'd go to comedy clubs. He could start any type of business. He could meet people. He had family, friends. But now it's completely dead. He says, quote, 
But NYC always bounces back. No, not this time. But NYC is the center of the financial universe. Opportunities will flourish here again. Not this time. NYC has experienced worse. No, it hasn't. A Facebook group formed a few weeks ago that was for people who were planning a move and wanted others to talk to and ask advice advice from. Within two or three days, it had about 10,000 members. Every day I see more and more posts. I've been in NYC forever, but I guess this time I have to say goodbye. Every single day I see those posts. I've been screenshotting them from my scrapbook. Three, three of the most important reasons to move from NYC, business opportunities, culture, and food. And of course, friends, uh, and of course, friends. But if everything I say below is even one tenth of what I think, then there won't be as many opportunities to make friends. He says, first, business. Midtown Manhattan, the center of business in New York is empty. Even though people can go back to work, famous office buildings like the Time Life skyscraper are still 90% empty. Businesses have realized they don't need their employees at the, at the office. In fact, they've realized they are even more productive with everyone at home. The Time Life building can handle 8,000 workers. Now it maybe has 500 workers back. Here's a picture of the city streets just empty. These are things I rarely ever saw. I mean, maybe even, even in, in the middle of the night in New York, you didn't see things like this. What do you mean? A friend of mine said when I told him Midtown Manhattan should be called Ghost Town. I'm in my office right now. What are you doing? Packing up. He laughed. I'm shutting it down. He works in the entertainment business. Another friend of mine works at a major investment bank as a managing director before the pandemic. He was at his office every day, sometimes working 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Now he lives in Phoenix, Arizona. As of June, he told me I had never even been to Phoenix. And then he moved there. He does all his meetings on Zoom. I don't like Zoom. I prefer Skype. I don't know why everyone's using Zoom, but hey, that's them. A friend of mine was convinced he'd stay. He put up a Facebook post in the other, uh, post the other day saying he might be changing his mind because he watched a homeless person lose his mind and attack a ran- and start attacking random pedestrians, spinning on them, throwing stuff at them and swatting at them. He said that he had seen several single parents with a child asking for money for food. And then when someone gave him food, tossed it right back at him. He watched a man yell racial slurs at every single race of people while charging, then stopping before going too far. He goes on to say, I've been living in New York for about 10 years. It has definitely gotten worse and there is no end in sight. First, so he says, people say NYC has been the worst. He says, no, it hasn't. Even in the 1970s and through the 80s, when New York City was going bankrupt, it was still the it was still it was still the capital of the business world. It was the primary place young people would go to and build wealth and find opportunity. This is something that I think millennials don't quite understand, maybe because we weren't probably because we weren't alive at the time. I look back at these movies and, you know, these old images of New York City hustling and bustling New York. And yeah, a lot of references to crime and, you know, people of the night, as it were gangs, etc. But I also look back at stories like the Wolf of Wall Street or, or things like that. The stories of that, you know, uh, I can't remember that guy, that uh, gecko guy and how back then in the 70s and 80s, there were rich people working on Wall Street, making tons of cash, driving fancy cars and loving it. But you still had the city with crime and things generally started to improve. That's my understanding of how the city worked. And Trump played a big role in this. Now they've just manually shut everything down. There's no business. There's no there's no money to be made in New York City. You don't you don't do trading on the floor at the, at the stock exchange anymore. So what do you need to be there for? Nothing. They shut it down. It was a hard stop. They pulled the brakes. People got off the train and said, I guess we don't need to be here anymore. He brings up some really interesting things. Check this out. 
He says in early March, many people left New York City when they felt it would provide safety from the virus and they no longer needed to go to work and all the restaurants were closed. People figured I'll get out for a month or two and then come back. They are still gone. And then in June, during rioting and looting, a second wave of NYCers, this time including me, left. I have kids. Nothing was wrong with the protests, but I was a little nervous when I saw videos of rioters after curfew trying to break into my building. Many people left temporarily, but they were all but there were also people leaving permanently. Friends of mine moved to Nashville, Miami, Austin, Denver, Salt Lake City, Dallas. Let me tell you something. What did I say back in early March, late February? I told everybody, pick up some emergency food. I did some promo spots for emergency food. And I said, listen, I'm not a prepper, but I tell you what, you got a first aid kit. Why don't you be, how often do you use it, right? You have it because you might need it. You might get a cut. Someone might need help, but you eat food every day. Do you have backup food supply in case something happens? Your refrigerator breaks, your, your food spoils, or there's a disaster, a hurricane, a flood. These things happen often and people aren't prepared. I watched when I, 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 I remember the story. There's an algal bloom in Northern Ohio, the whole lake was covered with toxic algae and they couldn't drink the water. So people snatched up bottled water from everywhere. It's not insane to say, grab yourself a case of food that'll last you a month. It only, it costs like a hundred and something bucks. Not even that big of a deal, but people got mad and started laughing, saying Tim's a prepper and all this stuff. Even, even though I was having kind of tepid approach to these things, I said, what happens when riots break out over food or things just become chaotic? Do you like, you know, I'm really close to a shopping center and I'm worried about what happens when people can't get their supplies. So I'm going to take care of my, my, you know, myself, my friends, my family, and I'm going to make sure that I have supplies available. And there were a lot of people that agreed and they're like, sounds reasonable, right? And there are a lot of people that complain. Oh, it's doom saying, ah, oh, blah, blah, blah. Was I wrong? Maybe a little bit, you know, because predictions aren't, you know, it, I'm, I'm not trying to forecast the future and go buy lotto tickets. I'm trying to tell you, what might happen and what I think is probable. That's all I do. Probably a good reason why, you know, I'm, I'm able to do the job that I do tracking a lot of this news is because I, you know, I grew up playing strategy games. I, I look at the moves ahead of us and I say, if this happens, then what are the other moves that we'll see? I grew up playing chess, games like Magic the Gathering. It's all about strategy. And now what are we seeing? Well, the mass riots did happen. This man straight up said that they were trying to break into his building and he was scared. Why? The looting has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. It's, a, it's almost exactly what I said was going to happen. In Chicago, people went around just looting like crazy because we've seen this before. It has nothing to do with any protest movement. Although it, the protest did spark the mass rioting, many people straight up said when all this started, when all the rioting broke out, this was about pent up anger and desperation and rage. That's why people were really doing it. Do you think that if these cities, if these, if this guy is saying the city is dead and can't recover, do you think it is fair and rational to say, I'm going to operate as though everything's going to be a okay. I'm not going to prepare. I'm not going to take care of my, you know, my friends, my family, myself, because I think we'll all be okay. I don't, but you're more than welcome to have an optimism bias. Now, now I do think it's fair to point out. I think a lot of this may trigger a massive landslide for Trump. And then things will return to some kind of state of order. I'm actually, uh, some, look, you, no matter what you say, there's going to be people who are angry with you, there are people who support you, and you need to recognize it. Some people say Tim's too optimistic about Trump's victory or his chances of winning. I've been flip, I flip flopped on it. You know, a couple months ago, I was like, I'm not, I'm not convinced. I think it's looking pretty bad. And then things changed, and I'm like, now it's so bad. I think Trump's going to win. 
I have been saying I think we could see a 49 state landslide. And that's because of this. But I could be wrong. I just don't know. But I'll tell you what, I look at probabilities. And so please, please, to the people who are constantly saying, you know, Tim is wrong, blah, blah, blah. Look at this. Protests coming to a residential neighborhoods near you. What happens when they riot and your police are defunded and demoralized? This, this, is, this is what I do, okay? What happens? We have this video. They're on a residential street. They're screaming at some women who are standing by their grill, drink, you know, drinking something. I don't know if they're having a barbecue or what. They're screaming at them. They're, call, they're insulting them. They're calling them names. They've been doing it in Portland. They've been doing it in Seattle. In Chicago, when the riots broke out, one of the local politicians, they're called aldermen, complained to the mayor that by raising the bridges, they forced the looters into the neighborhoods. They're raising the bridges now. It could stop at any moment. But do you operate as though you think it's finally done? Or do you hope for the best, but prepare for the worst? Maybe things will get better. I say that very often. I don't know where the end of this chaos is. But I have to imagine with these jurisdictions allowing the riots, the protests, the district attorneys in all these jurisdictions are releasing people. It's not about being pessimistic or being optimistic. It's about being realistic. I can sit back and say, you know, I think when the DA says they're not going to prosecute criminals, things will get better. Well, we saw that in New York, quite literally with bail reform. They said, release these people who are criminals. And then crime got worse. Granted, COVID came around and then everything kind of, you know, shuttered down. In New York City, maybe this is the good news. Crime is way down, except lethal violence way up. Probably having something to do with their defunding of the police. I don't know what you want to happen. I, I, I know what I, I think most people want. I, I would say I, I have a feeling most people want to return to normalcy. Don't want groups coming to your neighbor and screaming at you and your kids that you're white supremacists. But you look at protests like this. And what happens when those protests turn into riots? New York City may be dead. May not. Some people responded to my tweet saying traffic is insane in New York right now. People are still here. Sure, sure, sure. Maybe, maybe what we're talking about is the relative you know, st- st- uh, status of New York City. Relative to where it was, it is dead, air quotes, in the sense that there's no people walking around, there, you know, businesses are all closed and people aren't going to be coming back. But there are still some businesses, some restaurants. There are, pil- there are, of course, millions of people there doing their thing. But will there be a recovery or is this the death spiral? One of the things uh, James, uh, is that his name, right? Yeah, James brings up is something called a deflationary spiral. You see, property values are going down. Rent is going down. So everybody says, I'm going to wait until it bottoms out. I am going to wait until I see it tick up before I try and come back and buy property in the city, in which case it just bottoms out. It goes down, down, down. And then the cities, uh, the buildings fall apart. Nobody wants to be there with no buildings, no businesses, no tenants. What's left of the city? I don't know. I don't know. We're seeing something like this in, in Michigan. There have, there's been some kind of, I guess, wholesome resurgence. You know, people were doing urban farming in, in, uh, in Detroit. But Detroit lost so many people when the auto industry collapsed that it's become too expensive to maintain utilities and services. So people start leaving because the taxes are too high. The same thing's going to happen in New York, potentially in California. California is proposing a wealth tax on people who have lived there within the past 10 years. Good luck enforcing that. When I said there might be riots because of these food lines, we did see some food riots. We did. We absolutely did. There was a food bank where people like rushed the rushed the fence and tried knocking it down. They opened it up and just started taking everything. We've also seen riots, uh, just general outrage. 
you know, uh, notably Black Lives Matter, I would argue this. If George Floyd's, you know, the, 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 the police officers involved are all arrested and facing charges, what are they still protesting for? It's probably just pent up anger. And this is at a point where people still have some resources. 30 to 40 million evictions are pending. If these happen, then we are going to see some real craziness. I'll tell you what. Now, if we see a moratorium upheld on evictions, then what about all the people who work, you know, in building management who aren't getting paid now? Well, they'll lose their jobs. They'll go on unemployment and we will still see negative economic repercussions. You add, you add that to what we're seeing in places like New York. You add that to what we see with the rioters and the protesters going to residential neighborhoods. And my fear is that sooner or later, they'll come pounding on the door of someone's house, screaming that they're racist. What happens when these people start getting a bit more raucous? Maybe they won't. But based on the fact that they're standing in front of people's homes, screaming at them, they're not marching. They're standing there. They're yelling at these people. What I say is, I try to be prepared for what I think might happen in the next two or three steps, not what comes next. We're at a point now where we're seeing people standing in front of someone's home. Those people should have already been ready for what for what is happening. If they're not getting ready for whatever might happen next, well, then I think they're going to be caught off guard and they're going to be in serious trouble. So earlier in the year, I said, what happens when the riots break out? And I bought some emergency food. I recommended to other people. and A lot of people bought it. Some people laughed and said, ha, I'm fine. And then we saw food shortages at a lot of these stores. In fact, we're still starting, we're starting to see now massive shortages of supplies. I kid you not. We're seeing major back order on hard professional equipment. That's, that shocked me. Some places can't get certain things anymore. That's, it's getting harder. Pay attention, man. The economy's stopping. Doesn't mean you can just start it again because the chain is being broken. Many of these businesses will not come back. These people will get angrier. Many of them are starting to demand resources. That's why the the riots evolved into hardcore looting throughout Chicago. And I think it's likely to happen again because people came out and protested in support of the looters. What happens when they go and loot residential neighborhoods? Is it possible? Absolutely. Is it probable? I think it's got some probability. Is it likely? I'm not entirely sure. I don't know. But I would tell you this. Would you not want to be prepared for the event that the people standing in front of your house the people marching in Portland yelling things like no justice, no sleep, or we're going to burn your house. They, they literally yelled to an apartment building, we're going to burn your building down. They've tried to burn other buildings down. Isn't that the point at which you say, I'm going to, you know, take some small precautions? I'm sorry if people don't want to hear this stuff. Uh, th- and that's why I started with South Dakota, because there are places you can go to where things are going great and you can you can go and succeed in places like South Dakota. So if you're looking for safety, security, and opportunity, it seems like South Dakota, place to be, man. Maybe Texas, maybe the Sun Belt states that never locked down that are doing well. The point I'm bringing up is these Democratic jurisdictions have failed to an extreme degree. They won't prosecute. They're being, they're releasing these criminals. The riots are getting out of hand. We're seeing businesses collapse. What more do you need to hear? People are already leaving though. So it's, don't, don't, don't take it from me as if like you, you need to hear it from me and people have already figured it out. As James was pointing out, they fled after the riots. He did after he saw people trying to break into his building. That's scary stuff. I think we're going to see more of the same. I think we're going to see Republican areas start doing better. And I think we're going to see the Democrat areas start doing substantially worse. What that means moving forward, maybe Trump landslides. I honestly don't know. We'll see what happens.
I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at TimCast.net. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. Unfortunately, the trend continues in not just San Francisco and many cities. Police are quitting. We got the story from the SF Chronicle. SF police appear to be doing their own defunding as cops leave in record numbers. We got another story in Seattle where some dude yells to a cop. The cop yells back, I'm done. I'm out. I'm quitting. So you won't really need to instruct the city to defund the police or to vote on it if the police just don't want to work anyway. And in fact, that's one of the goals of the far left. While you have many of these far left politicians in Portland, Seattle, and apparently SF and other cities, they're voting to defund the police, disband or abolish the police. But where they can't, the far left is going around attacking residential neighborhoods, harassing people, and the DA won't prosecute them. Thus, many cops just quit. Maybe it's on purpose. Maybe it's all just dominoes falling over, but it's getting worse and it's getting bad. You see, while we're hearing about police quitting, we're also hearing this. Over 60 Portland 911 calls go unheeded overnight as police respond to riot. This is what you can expect with no police. Here's the story from the SF Chronicle. They say, as politicians debate the future of San Francisco policing, there was another discussion going on in the station houses. The record number of officers resigning. In the first six months of the year, 23 sworn officers resigned. Police department records show of those 19 took jobs at other law enforcement agencies, both in California and elsewhere. By comparison, 26 officers resigned in all of 2019 and only 12 officers resigned in 2018. If the police exits continue at their current pace, the SFPD is on track to lose nearly twice as many cops this year as it did last year and close to four times as many as in 2018. Quote, this is just the beginning. Dozens are actively in the hiring process with other agencies, says Tony Montoya, president of the Police Officers Association. The members are upset at the social distancing that I'm sorry, the members are upset that the social experiment being conducted in San Francisco is failing and they would rather work someplace that values them, said Montoya, a constant critic of City Hall's calls for police reform, which after the killing of George Floyd uh, in Minneapolis has taken the form of shifting money from police budgets to social causes. Quote, Members have gone to places like the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office, Pleasant Hill, Beverly Hills, Petaluma, Palm Springs, Placerville, Long Beach, Idaho, Texas, Arizona, Montoya said. Police Chief Bill Scott said there's been an uptick in officers leaving this year, but that many of the applications to leave predated the national unrest after Floyd's death. It's a tough job. And for many officers, it's also a long commute to and from work, Scott said in recent interviews. If there are opportunities closer to home, people are going to take them. Now, that may be true. People just simply want to work closer to where they live. It's a known problem in San Francisco that many of these officers can't actually afford to live in the city. So they have to drive very far, get to the city and then drive around the city and then drive very far home. Nobody really wants to do that. Maybe that's the case. I don't think it's fair to say, though, this problem has been going on for years. San Francisco real estate troubles. It's been a recurring problem. It's really expensive to live there. Now, of course, he's saying some of these predate this. I'm not sh- I'm not entirely sure I'm convinced that's the crux of the problem or the, or, or the bulk of it. Take a look at this in Seattle. I'm leaving you guys one moment. Seattle police officer tells activist he's quitting the department because of constant unrest caused by Black Lives Matter protesters in the city. Now, while this is Seattle, I think it shows us that a lot of these officers, 
don't want to constantly have to fight with protesters who won't get charged, who will get released. And every day it's the same exact thing. They're demoralized. They're insulted. People don't like them anymore. They don't want to do the job. And that to me is it's it's well, I'll say this, man. It's unfortunate. It's scary. And this is what you get over at Fox News. They say 60 Portland 911 calls go unheeded. You ever hear that phone call that happened during the peak of the riots? A woman woman was in her car. She called 911 and the police said, ma'am, what would you have us do? Right. She was surrounded by people screaming, banging on her car. I said, we can't help you. You're in a mob. There was also a story from New York City. Hence why many people are probably leaving where a guy said people were fighting in his building and he called the police and they said, what do you want us to do about it? The city's under attack. It's going to be up to you. Fox News says more than 60 emergency calls of the police went unheeded overnight in Portland as officers were preoccupied with hundreds of demonstrators downtown and were pelted by rocks. On the 80th consecutive night of protests, the Portland Police Bureau declared a riot. This we know. They say the targeted building was owned by the city. This we understand. Two officers went to the hospital. Quote, at the, sa- at the time of this release, over 60 calls from police service were holding around the city, the bureau said in a statement. Some had been holding for the length of the events described here. Call types ranged from theft, vandalism, suspicious activity, hazards, hit and run, burglary, violation of restraining order, alarms, stolen cars, harassment, and many others. That violation of restraining order to me, that's kind of the scariest because you got a restraining order for a reason. The cops can't respond. Yeah, well, you know, there's a riot going on. It's been going on for some time. I can only imagine that the average person is going to flee the city because these politicians just keep pushing the same the same goal, I guess, some kind of overly dramatic last minute reform to release people who are violent, unhinged criminals. And guess what that means? It means more riots and it means more unanswered phone calls. It's what you're going to get. Here's the story from the Daily Mail about the Seattle police officer. They say, well, uh, a Seattle police officer appeared to announce his resignation from the department because of ongoing Black Lives Matter protests in a viral video telling an activist, I'm leaving you guys one. While the circumstances surrounding the video remain unclear, the officer who is not named in the clip is seen pulling up in a patrol vehicle next to a protester, winding down his window and appearing to sarcastically ask, how's your day going today, bud? When the activist responds, not really because you're around. I guess I don't know what he's trying to say by that. The officer tells him he has some good news for him. I'm sorry for that, but just don't worry, man, because guess what? I'm leaving. You guys won. Effing two months, baby, and I'm out. The person filming the exchange asks him to clarify that he's going to resign, to which the officer responds, I'm effing gone, bro. The two men continue to exchange false pleasantries. When asked how he feels about stepping down, the officer says, I'm feeling great. I'm stepping down from this department. You guys won. The officer is asked if he is stepping down because of police brutality, to which the officer says he isn't. Rather, he's handing in his badge because he's tired of dealing with Black Lives Matter protesters. Their dialogue is momentarily interrupted when the officer becomes embroiled in a heated exchange of words with another protester who is out of frame. Specifically, what sparked the verbal altercation is unclear, but the officer blares his horn and speeds uh, forward his vehicle before coming to an abrupt stop and leaning out his door, pointing a finger at the activist who remains off camera. While the officer's attention is diverted elsewhere, the man filming the video calls out, out to others, this guy is resigning because of Black Lives Matter. The officer then returns to his vehicle and speaks to the man filming once more, who proceeds to taunt the officer. You triggered, boy, you triggered. The man asks the cop, oink, oink, F you and your blue life. Amid the man's taunts, the officer adds one of his own, telling the man he can't wait to finally be friends with him once he quits the Seattle PD. 
We'll never be friends, the protester angrily insists. We will never see eye to eye. I don't care if you take that badge off. You'll never be one of my people. So what's the point? This guy, maybe he's going to quit. Maybe he's not. But this is the war of attrition. The far left has already said it's part of their goal. They want to keep protesting because it costs them nothing. Wear down the city, get these cops to quit. And that's how they end policing. And then what happens when there's no cops? You will come crying. You will call. You will beg. And there will be no one to save you. Maybe. It's a good thing for some people. Some people are armed and they can protect themselves. Most people aren't. Most people, maybe many people won't. And what happens when you see someone, you know, a group of people march down the street, kicking a door, they go in, start beating the crap out of people who live there, stealing their stuff, screaming their gentrifiers, and it's their home now? Who will stop it? Nobody. Maybe community watch groups. Let me tell you something interesting that may be a good thing. You want community policing, real community policing? You might get it. In Colorado, when Antifa showed up to a neighborhood, a bunch of locals got together and chased them out, beat the crap out of them when they attacked someone first. I think about these education pods. Have you heard about this? The schools are closed. So people are forming pods where they hire a tutor and then put all their kids in essentially a community classroom, kind of like how it used to be. It's really interesting what's happening. It's getting everybody kind of back to basics. As people flee cities, they're now going to form education pods. Why not community policing pods? You get a bunch of the locals together. You say we're forming a neighborhood watch. If someone attacks any one of our houses, we're there for each other. Here's the perimeter for, for which we can extend. Better yet, some of these people might form their own volunteer police forces to go out and deal with the mobs. The mobs will regret this, I, I, I assure you. You know why? You see, police have to be held to a certain standard. If a cop does something, he could lose his job, he could lose his pension. And people don't realize this. When it comes to an individual, if they're, if they're engaged in self-defense, that's the end of it. There's no one to sue. Think about it. A cop goes out, gets into an altercation. Something happens. Fires some rounds because he was threatened. Dude dies. They sue. City pays out wrongful death. Let's say you're a regular average Joe and you're not worth anything. And you're engaging in, in a neighborhood watch against, you know, Antifa who's showing up. They attack you. So the, so the guy fires in self-defense. Cops actually end up coming in eventually for an investigation and say, a self-defense. A violent mob was attacking him. End of story. Who are they going to sue? The guy? He might not have anything. The department has taxpayer funds. So this may end up working out very well for, for advocates of the Second Amendment who don't want to deal with the BS. And I'll tell you this. A lot of these leftists have said, you don't need cops. Just call the police. Okay. When everybody is armed and engaging in their own policing, crime might actually end up going down. So all in all, by all means, keep it up and you will see regular people rise up and crush these riots very, very quickly. I got a couple more segments coming up in a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. A woman was shot with a pellet gun after she was caught stealing. I'm sorry, removing a Trump side from the wrong yard. Apparently, she claims she thought it was her brother's yard. And so the guy saw her stealing a sign and he shot her with a pellet gun. He got arrested for, I believe, misdemeanor assault. I find the story interesting because this is not new. People steal Trump signs. They do it all the time. In fact, back in 2016, there are YouTube compilation videos of booby trapped Trump signs and some other more tragic stories. Earlier this year, we had a story of a couple who actually brought their kids out to steal a Trump flag. And that's despicable. But this lady claims she thought the, that the sign was in her brother's yard. I don't buy it. I think she was trying to steal it. 
she got shot for trying to steal it with a pellet gun and is saying this because, well, that way she can claim it was an accident and it's his fault. He, he, he committed a crime and perhaps he should not have shot her with a pellet gun. Let's be real. He could have called the cops and said, someone's stealing my property for sure. Maybe the cops wouldn't have done anything. That's why so many people have the uh, booby traps. I don't think those are necessarily smart either, but I got to admit, you know, instant karma, I guess. Let's read the story, but I also want to give myself a shout out. If you haven't already, check out my main channel over at TimCast.net. It's an entirely different channel. Check it out. Subscribe. I'm really close to breaking a million subs, but let's read the story. Woman shot with BB gun for removing Trump side in wrong yard. They say a North Carolina woman was shot at, at, with a pellet, uh, a pellet gun. In, it was lodged, the pellet was lodged in her right arm, claims it was a misunderstanding. Peggy Fox told WSOC TV she saw a political sign in what she thought was her brother's front yard. When she went to remove it, his 76-year-old neighbor shot her with an air gun, striking her near the elbow. Fox said she thought the sign was placed in the yard by a prankster, as her brother never talks about politics. What's more, the sign was placed closer to her brother's front door than the neighbor's house, and the exact property lines were unclear to her. I'm sorry, I just don't believe it. You know why? Because she could have asked her brother, did you put a Trump sign out? No, I'm gonna go take it down. Instead, she goes to take it, and she gets shot with a pellet gun. Fox didn't make it a few steps before she felt the excruciating pain of the pellet. I looked up, and I heard this gentleman, gentleman yelling at me. The neighbor, Worth McAllister, said he yelled at Fox to stop before he opened fire. Fox said she didn't hear him say anything. When Fox confronted McAllister, he encouraged her to call the police. You can't shoot people on your property, she told the news station. He actually believed he could shoot me if I was on his property. And to me, that's terrifying. Well, I don't exactly know which state this is. Do they, I don't know if they say it's, it's North Carolina. Actually, in some states, you can. Like, according to the AG in Missouri, with the, the McCloskey case, if someone is about to enter your property, not even on your property, you can actually shoot them with, a, with a, an actual gun. Okay, I, I guess you can argue an air gun is an actual kind of gun, but you know what I mean, live ammo, not a pellet. Now McAllister, who said she purchased, who said he purchased the BB gun to scare away stray cats on his property, faces a misdemeanor assault charge. You defend your property and you end up getting charged, he said in response to the charges. Fox said she had no problem with the sign itself. She just didn't want it on her brother's property if it wasn't his. She said she would have put it back if McAllister had just, McAllister had just explained to her that it was his property. I think it speaks to the political divisions and it's really, really sad, Fox said. I just wish people would talk. McAllister said he meant to hit Fox in her rear end. He, all, he is also considering filing charges against Fox's attempt for theft, but has to wait until his assault, assault charge is handled. His court date is set for November. She might actually get charged for this. Look, I'll tell you what. He didn't need to shoot her at all, even if she was trying to take it. He could, I know I'm, I'll probably get a lot of flack for this from gun owners, but in my opinion, he could have at least tried dry firing first. It's an air gun, not a real gun. He could have just made the bang or he could have yelled louder. And maybe she would have heard something. I'll tell you what, though. I'm not going to pretend to know what someone should or shouldn't do when it's their property and someone is per- perceivably stealing their property. But I'll tell you this. I know why he was ready and guarding it, because we see this story going on nonstop for years. People have been doing this forever. Check this out. Poll worker injured by Trump signed booby trap with razor blades. That may be a too, uh, uh, that's too much for me, man. Don't put razor blades on the sign. People are going to steal it. I get it. But there's other ways you can go about setting up security for your signs because people are going to steal them. Somebody getting their hands all sliced up. 
Look, I get it. People are going to say you get what you deserve. Don't touch other people's property. But I'm pretty sure booby trapping is illegal in many jurisdictions because there's other ways to deter things. Here's what I see. Check this out. Trump supporter booby traps yard sign to thwart thieves. These are both from 2016. The, The Huffington Post one is from November 3rd, 2016. The ABC News is from September 5th, which was earlier. This guy put string. That's it. String. And so when some lady tried to grab it and ran, it yanked her and she fell forward. That was her fault. He just tied it down to protect it. That I understand and respect. Look, there was one guy who like electrified, I guess. Check this out. I have this YouTube video from CNN. See the defensive techniques used to stop Trump sign theft. This has been going on forever. In one part of the video, the dude actually sets up some kind of electrical system, I guess is fireworks or something, maybe a bit over the top. But hey, I understand if all you're trying to do is deter or scare, then I think it's fine. I don't know what the legalities are, though. So, so you follow the law, whatever the law may, may be. I will say, however, these people, for one, should not be trying to steal these signs. So, yeah, you know what? I got to admit there's a bit of catharsis in the in, in the comeuppance that comes for people going onto other people's property and stealing their stuff. There is, however, someone who electrified it. I actually think that might be appropriate. Again, I don't know the law, but think about it. Somebody walks up, they try and steal your sign, they grab it and they go, ah, and they let go. And that's it. And they walk away. Don't steal signs. There's a really, really funny video, I'll tell you, where somebody apparently booby trapped the sign with spikes underneath it. So that if so, eventually a car tried ramming through the sign and they ended up getting a flat. I think it was like the back of the sign had had like spikes on it or nails or something. And the car ran over it, busted up its tires. Don't drive on people's lawns, I guess. I don't know the booby trap laws, but check this out. I want to highlight this story just to show you the scale of the problem from this year. This is from April 16th. Theft of neighbor's Trump flag lands Florida doctors in jail, deputies say. The two Gulf Breeze gynecologists are accused of using a ladder to take the flag while their two children watched. These people are unhinged. You know what, man? There's a hashtag going around. Wrong Trump. You know what that's about? Donald Trump lost his brother. It's sad, man. It was his younger brother by a couple years. Trump put out a statement saying it's with a heavy heart. Apparently his brother had fallen, hit his head. And then that was just, it, it was it. It was, there were complications and he was 71 or I think he was 71. Some said 72 and, uh, and, and he didn't make it. And Trump said that it was his, not just his brother, but his best friend. And he's sad. And there's a video going around where he's giving a speech. You know, he comes down from the stage and he's walking around, you know, saying hi to people. And then he sees his brother, gets all excited. He gives hugs and he lost his brother. It's sad. Wrong Trump are people saying the wrong Trump died. And that is horrifying. These people are absolutely unhinged. They're unwell. They're trying to strip us of our police. They're literally doing it. Cops are quitting. They're going around stealing property unchecked. We need law and order, man. You know what scares me is that what the left is doing is emboldening people calling for more police state-like activities. I'm not a fan. I'm not. I saw people were critical of me because I said, you know, people shouldn't be arrested for posting photos on the internet or something like that. Like basically, dude, if someone takes a, a picture in public and then posts it online, is it really a crime? It's like you're in public. You have no reasonable expectation of privacy. But now we're literally seeing people say, so what? Bring it on. Arrest them all. Yes, yes. Arrest the criminals. Peaceful protests are allowed. Journalism is allowed. And we've got real issues we got to sort out on social media. But man, are these people unhinged. So how will the rest of us 
be able to just live our normal lives with crazy people running around doing things like this, bringing their kids. What is wrong with these people, man? I'm going to give respect to Joe Biden right now. You know why? Because he said two things. For one, he said the crazy people should be found, arrested and prosecuted. Good. It's the least he could say. But guess what? Many Democrats weren't saying it. At least Joe Biden did. And I don't like the guy at all. He also said he also gave his condolences to Donald Trump over the loss of his brother and said he understood how he was feeling. He had raised, he lost he has lost many loved ones, including his son. And I said, thank you. You, you give respect where respect is 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 deserved. And if he's going to come out and say, condemn these crazies and arrest them, good on Joe Biden. And if he's going to come out and he's going to say, I'm sorry for your loss, Trump, I'm sad to hear it. I say, thank you very much. Can we please have some normalcy brought back, some empathy for other people and respect for other people's rights? I think Joe Biden is, a corru- is corrupt. I think Kamala Harris is a, is a despotic lunatic and I won't vote for him. But you better believe in these crazy times, if, even if you want to consider it the bare minimum, I'll, I'll absolutely praise the bare minimum. You know why? Because these people are not even giving us that. The bare minimum would be, would be these people saying, I don't like your sign, and then walking away. No, they're going insane. They're stealing signs. They're getting caught up in booby traps. And you know what? Part of me says good. Some of them, I think, go too far, like razor blades. But I'm sick of the insanity. Leave people alone. Like the, like the people who, who, who took pictures of the Kroger guy, Kroger Andy, leave this poor guy alone, man. He's not doing anything. There's bullies, these unhinged bullies, man. I'm sick of it. And that's why I think, you know what? I got to be honest. Only Trump is going to put an end to this. That's why they hate it. We need policing. We need our cops to feel like they can do their jobs. And we need, we need a return to normalcy and we need some empathy. But the left has none. That's why I think Joe Biden can't cut it. You know why? Oh, he'll give Trump respect. He'll call out Antifa, sort of. They're not going to care. They're going to they're gonna poo-poo all over him. Whatever, man. These people who, who are, you know, getting their comeuppance. I don't know about this woman. Maybe it really was an accident, okay? But we got to chill. You know, the dude who shot her, he did because he's on edge. I don't blame him for being on edge. I hope she's okay. I don't want anyone to get hurt. But we got we to gotta stop the insanity, man. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes. Stick around, and I will see you all shortly. I do not believe it could possibly get worse for California, man. And I'm going to say this with a, with a bit of sympathy, a bit of empathy for those that are still in California, man, I'm feeling for you. And I really mean it. Now, I'm going to have to wag my finger a little bit because y'all voted for the politicians you have and you've chosen to live in many of these places. But at the same time, I don't think anybody expected it to get this bad. And while I can criticize the people in California for voting for really awful politicians that can't get the job done. I'll I'll still, you know, try and empathize a little bit. Check this out. More rolling blackouts for like the first time in nearly 20 years. California did rolling blackouts the other day. They're doing rolling blackouts again. Electricity shortage. You want to know what else? 13 wildfires. You kidding me? Yikes, man. I'm feeling bad for good old California out there, huh? You got mass homelessness. You've got lethal crime skyrocketing. And I'm I'm just look, you know, listen. I'm sure there's probably a lot of you right now saying, Tim, don't empathize. They voted for this. They get, you know, they voted for it. That's what they wanted. I, I know, I know, maybe, but fire NATO? What is a fire NATO? Internet baffled after California issues America's first ever warning for a fire tornado. What? I kid you not. A fire tornado. Wow, man. It's bad. I'm going to be serious, okay? The wildfires are, are scary. And I really do empathize and sympathize and wish for the safety, security of ever and the good health of anybody 
anywhere near these wildfires. This is a natural disaster, man. We are not, we are, nobody should be hoping for any pain and suffering. Now, look, the electricity shortages, I'll tell you what, that's your own fault, okay? But I can still, I can still say, yikes, man. Insult to injury, you know? Look, a lot of people are fleeing California. The exodus is real. San Francisco's exodus, so Southern California seeing an exodus. It's time to go somewhere else. But I'll tell you this, man. Let this be a warning because the conservatives are warning about it. There's that comic. I don't know if you've seen it. And it's Joe Rogan walking from California to Texas. And he's pulling a luggage bag that says like liberal policies. And California is like, like in flames and trash. And there's like a cowboy saying like, hey, why don't you leave that where you got it or something like that. And that's the joke. If you're going to leave these places, don't bring these same policies and politicians to where you're going, because look at what you get. If you're going to go somewhere because it's really awful where you are, then the locals probably figured something out. And I'm going to defer to them. That's what I'm telling you right now. Listen, I'm moving to a rural area. All right. I've been planning this for a long time, especially especially then with COVID. I've been trying to move since you know last year and, and get a bigger facility and expand the company, my companies. But I'll tell you what, since COVID and the rioting, I've said, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go to a more rural area. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to ask the locals. I'm going to take their word for it. I'm not going to vote for any of this crazy leftist stuff. I'm telling you what, right now, like I've said before, I've never been a big Trump fan. And I know a lot of people like they have this idea that you're either yay, yay Trump or like, oh no, Trump bad. Like there really are people who are like, "Eh, I guess Trump, you know what I mean? I'll give him credit for a lot of the good things he's done. But right now I'm looking at voting for Trump because the Democrats have lost it. That's exactly what I'm saying. I don't want California's policies coming to the rest of this country. So you know what? Fine. I, I, I give. I give. All right. There are some things I think are good. I disagree with conservatives on a lot of issues. But you know what? I, I, I'm backing off on this one. New York, New Jersey, California, Chicago. They're, they're pit stains. It is awful. So the only thing I can say is, Maybe these policy ideas, you know, that I voted for in the past, not good, not good at all. So, you know, what? I just don't even know anymore because this has been nothing but chaos. I still think that there are, you know, I think economically and philosophically, there are some left wing ideas that I think are good. The problem is the Democrats are in my just they're corrupt. Not all of them, many of them, if not most of the ones in charge. And I think the problem arises with places like California simply because you take two parties one party says you got to work hard to earn your keep. Okay, that makes sense. The other party says, don't worry about it. We'll take it from them and give it to you. And all they have to do, what happens then? The Democrats keep saying, we're going to roll out these programs that will give you something. What do you got to do? You got to press the vote button. Easy victory, right? The Democrats feel like if I just say, I'll give you whatever you want, you'll vote for me. You end up with two parties. One where it's like, listen, with hard work comes, you know, uh, success. The other party says, you didn't build this. You didn't build that. And so there's the, there's the real problem. I actually think there are social policies that can work. I think they really, I think they have to be reassessed, put on time limits. I think we need to kind of clean out government of this bureaucracy and this corruption. I lean left on a lot of issues. The problem, however, is that the Democrats you get in, in, that, that run for office are not legitimate people. They're not legitimately trying to help anyone. We can offer up social programs, but responsibility has to come with it. Otherwise, they put up these signs everywhere saying, don't feed the animals. They'll become dependent. OK, well, what do you think happens if you if you tell everybody, we'll just give you whatever you want? They're not going to become independent. So we need a balance. I love the mixed economy. I'm a moderate kind of centrist leaning a little bit to the left. 
But I'll tell you what right now, when I look at stories about rolling blackouts now in California, well, your economy is stagnating. You've locked everyone down. You have no idea what you're doing. You've got the the mayor of LA saying he's going to violate human rights by shutting off utilities. And I'm just like, you know what, man? I see all this. I don't care. I get text after text from all of these campaign fundraisers. I say, I say the same thing. Y'all have lost your mind. I have no idea what you're even fighting for at this point. I am not kidding. What is Joe Biden's policy? What, what is he for? Kamala Harris is apparently for the Green New Deal. What is she even all about? Honestly, I don't know what they're campaigning on. And when I look to California, you know, honestly, rolling blackouts, economic shutdown, crime. Yeah. I'm not surprised people are leaving. They say California was hit by more blackouts on Saturday as a heat wave baking the state and triple digit temperatures continue to strain the electrical system. Power is being brought back to 220,000 customers across the state after a brief outage, according to the authority that operates the grid. The California Independent System Operator, California ISO, said in a statement that the brief rolling blackouts throughout the state were caused by the failure of a power plant and the loss of wind power. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. How many people were like, we need to rely more heavily on renewable energies? And then what happens when there's no wind? You know, so listen, I'm all about renewables, man. But balance, balance. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm really mad at the left on this one. Nuclear power makes a ton of sense. And only a few states get their energy principally from nuclear. Why? The left doesn't allow it. They campaign against nuclear energy. One of the most efficient carbon neutral sources of energy. And the new technologies we have seem to be relatively safe as far as I know. Yet what happens? They just say no. So what, what, what does California and these other states end up doing? Natural gas. I kid you not. So I'll tell you what. I can blame California and the policy of the Democrats only so far. And I think it goes pretty far to where I, I got to stop and just say, OK, OK. I don't think the fire tornado is anybody's fault. So, uh, you know, with the wildfires, some have argued actually is a, a, a policy problem. So on the surface, it looks like the fire NATO is nobody's fault, right? Hold on. You see, when the wildfires started getting bad, Trump talked about how they weren't clearing like the brush and like the debris from the, from the foresty areas, from these, you know, dry areas, which means there was, there was kindling everywhere for fire. I'm not an expert on this stuff, but the general idea, here's what I've heard. And so many of you could probably correct me on this one. Naturally, there are fires because all the, you know, the leaves and the garbage falls of the trees, it gets dried out. And then eventually a fire breaks out a natural process. But because we seek to prevent the fires, it never burns. And, and then the kindling and the brush builds up and then really, really bad fires start, which is a policy problem. So what you need to do is you need to go in and actually clear the forest floors or like the, you know, the floors of these areas, the ground of these areas to prevent the fires from building up. I don't know exactly what that is. Just something I saw in passing. But if it is, if it is true, it's a policy problem. I'm just going to say it. I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised California ex- experiences these things. Perhaps the drought is not their fault and thus the fires would start. And if it rained more, you know, it wouldn't be happening. But ultimately, when you get bad weather and bad policy, you get fire tornadoes. And this is it. They actually had to issue a warning. I mean, part of me wants to say it's cool, you know, a fire tornado, because we've seen people, we've, there's like a viral video of a bunch of fans around a fire and they made a fire tornado. But this is a legit tornado that was, you know, they said, it seems like 2020 is indeed becoming a more dreadful year as the months go by. 
In a rare spectacle, a fiery tornado emerged in California on August 15th near the Nevada border. The reported reason behind the emergence of this occurrence is large wildfires and and excessive temperatures creating a dangerous storm. The fire tornado or fire NATO triggered a warning from the the National Weather Service in Reno shortly before 3 p.m. near the uh, Loyalton Fire, which started in in the Sierra in Tahoe National Forest, cautioning people. The Weather Service tweeted, extremely dangerous fire behavior noted on the Loyalton Fire, rotating columns and potential for fire whirls. Responders should exercise extreme caution. Amazing. Looks like we 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 had a video of it. Look at this stuff. This is crazy. Brush engine 44 on scene earlier today as the Loyalton fire jumped Highway 395 with vehicles stuck on the road. The crew provided uh, provided protection and got the vehicles out of harm's way. No injuries. I'm not going to pretend to know the details of the wildfires. I'm just going to tell you this. California is crumbling. I'm sorry, man, it is. And many of these many of these Democrat controlled areas are. So do what you got to do. Ultimately, it comes down to your choice. I think the night is always darkest before the dawn. And though these things may be shocking, think about what comes after. As, as much as, you know, it may be awful to say, I do think there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. And from this, good things can emerge. We'll see how things play out. Thanks for hanging out. Next segment's coming up tomorrow at 10 a.m. on this channel. And I will see you all then.